and welcome to Tea or Books. I'm Rachel. I'm Simon. A bit today, there, Simon. I'm sorry. Um, this, <laughs> <laughs> he's distracted by his cat. I am. He's just um, run up down the stairs now. Sorry, keep going. Yeah, thanks. I'll get a word in Edgeways at some point. <laughs> um, this is episode 73, um, and we're going to be spending the first half discussing one chance or several chances. So if we um, don't like an author, will we give up after the first go or will we keep trying to see if we find a different book that we like? Um, and then in the second part of the episode, we're going to, discuss, to compare two novels by uh, an author that Simon actually introduced me to mm. not so long ago. And I've read two in quick succession. Um, and it's um, Cleany Brown and um, Gypsy in the Parlour, right? That's it, yeah. Yeah, um, by Marjorie Sharp, who is a sort of mid-century author. She's indeed. So, um, Simon, first of all, how are you and what are you reading? I'm very well, thank you. Um, I saw Maggie Smith on stage the other day. Oh, you got tickets for that, you lucky thing. I did. Well, it was partly luck and partly that my friend and I sort of split costs of becoming members of a theatre just to make sure that we got priority booking for it. Oh, right, well, that was clever. Yes. <laughs> so now we're... Well, at least my friend Andrea is a member of the British Theatre. Yes, it was wonderful. We went on the final night and it was one woman show. She just sat on a chair, didn't didn't really move, well, she, apart from, you know, her hands. Um, completely spellbinding. All about Joseph Goebbels' secretary, whose name I can't remember, yeah. but who um, gave this interview when she was 103, I think, about what it was like being Joseph Goebbels' secretary. So, yes, Maggie Smith had to age up a couple of decades, which can't be that <laughs> common for her nowadays. But, um, yeah, uh-huh. com- completely wonderful. So I'm sort of still on a bit of a high from that. But apart from that, uh, I'm well, and I am reading Julius by Daphne du Maurier, which some is also was originally published as Progress of Julius, but my copy is just called Julius. Um, which I'm reading. So Ali at Heaven Ali is is running a Daphne du Maurier reading week as we record. And so I I thought, which one's got a name in the title? Turns out I don't own Marianne, and I've already read Rebecca and My Cousin Rachel, so (laughs) I'm reading Julius, which which nobody reads as far as I can tell. Um, Have you you heard of it? Because I I hadn't heard of it, and I own it. No, I haven't even heard of it. So it's basically about this terrible man who... um, we see him from from birth in, in in great poverty in France. Then he moves to Algeria, and then he moves to England. And he's basically extremely selfish. And oh, I'm just going to move a cat out the way of the microphone. <laughs> yes. Um, and I think one of the reasons I'm just going to blithely carry on. One of the reasons that it's not super well known now is that it is very anti-Semitic, which I'm finding quite uncomfortable. So right. Julius is well, technically he's not Jewish because his mum was Jewish and his dad. Sorry, his dad was Jewish and his mum wasn't, but the novel sort of assumes he is Jewish, and it's basically all about how greed motivates his life, which is not a particularly pleasant um, theme, but it is very, if we put that aside, not that we should put that aside, but besides that, it is captivatingly written, but he's he's just so ruthless and unpleasant that uh, it's an interesting character study, and she she always writes well, but it's not going to... Um, threaten Rebecca or my cousin Rachel for my favourite Daphne du Maurier's. But you know, interesting to try a lesser, a lesser read one. Yes, I might be the only person contributing this one to Daphne du Maurier reading week. I think, I think it's quite likely. 
Um, how are you? What are you reading? All is well. Motoring towards half-term holiday. Of course, yes. Always a joy. May half-term is probably my favourite holiday. Um, I don't know why, I just love it. Okay. Yeah. Do you have any plans? Yes, I'm going to Italy for a week, which has been lovely. Of course you are. Get my pre-summer tan. Lovely. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, and uh, I suppose I ought to start thinking about Italian themed books to take with me, but I'm um, I'm reading Small Island at the moment by um, Andrea Levy. Levy. Yes, he sadly died last year, um, and I'm reading it because I'm going to see the theatre um, production of it at the National Theatre um, on Thursday. But I'm currently 200 pages into a 500 page <laughs> book, so the chances of me finishing before Thursday are slim to none. But um, I have to say I'm not massively enjoying it because everyone I've spoken to about it's like, oh, I absolutely love it. Oh, no, it's a brilliant book, blah, blah, Um And I just, yeah, I'm not massively loving any of the characters and I feel like it's I'm 200 pages in, so I feel like if it hasn't happened yet, it's probably not going to happen. Mm. But I'm going to plough on. Apparently the, the theatre production is amazing. I've read loads of great reviews, so I'm looking forward to the theatre nonetheless, but... Um, I would. I really wanted to be able to know the story beforehand because I wanted to see whether I ag- like, agreed with the way it was being adapted and what sort of decisions had been made and stuff. Because I'm, you know, a geek like that. I like <laughs> thinking about these things. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit disappointed that I'm not liking it more because I was really intrigued by the concepts. And I know it's been one of those books that everybody's read because, as always, I'm about a decade behind the times. But um, well, I've not read it, and I don't even know what the concept is. What is the concept? Oh, so it's it's basically set during the Windrush, and it's oh. about um, a couple who kind of marry for convenience um, and come over because the the female Hortense, who's like the the wife, is has got money to pay for the passage, but she can't travel by herself, and the guy Gilbert. Um, hasn't got the money, but he obviously and wants to go, but and he can travel by himself. So they agree to get married because um, they can sort of help each other out, as it were. Um, and it's interesting because they arrive in kind of post-war London, and which is a you know a total dump, really, quite badly <laughs> freezed, and all the lodgings are rubbish, and there's no decent jobs anywhere. And they've grown up in Jamaica with this. Well, Hortense has grown up in Jamaica with this idea that England is some kind of you know. Um, promised land and it's obviously not what she expects and Gilbert has been in the Air Force during the war and um, he already knows England and America and he wants a chance to make something better of himself and then there's also an English girl called Queenie who runs the house that they live in like um, is like the landlady of the boarding house that they live in and it's it's about how like the neighborhood responds to kind of this influx of Jamaican people and the racism that they experience and things but also about adjusting to a new culture and a new society and yeah like Mm, feeling yeah so it's quite i've never read a book um dealing with that before so it's dealing with the windrush generation and that thing and i think probably that's why the book was considered to be so um exemplary and recommended etc when it came out but Mm. i don't know it's just it's not grabbing me i don't know why maybe i'm just not in the right mood for it but it's a strange beeping at your side. Yeah, it's just my washing machine. It's one of those washing machines that's like I'm I'm finished and I'm beeping and then okay. it just keeps beeping until I turn it off, even I though see. I heard it the first time. <laughs> um, it will stop eventually. Okay. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. Uh, before we get on to the first topic, I just wanted to share a comment that we got on our last episode, 72, um, from Alexandra, which uh, I won't read all of it, but it says, I want to thank you both for helping me finally crack Virginia Woolf's fiction. I've tried and failed to read her fiction many times, um, but something about hearing you talk about both books, um, Mrs. Dalloway and the Hours, made me try again. This time a door was unlocked and I really love Mrs. Dalloway. All the words, words, words from previous tries became followable images and ideas. So there we go. We've helped someone learn to love Virginia Woolf, which made me extremely happy. Well, that does make me extremely happy. That's lovely to hear. So thanks for letting us know, Alexandra. Yeah. We always love to hear if people have tried books that we've talked about, particularly if they are successes. Um, yeah. And speaking of trying books, how many times, Rachel, do you give an author before you give up on them? Well, don't answer it straight away because that's the whole topic over. But let's <laughs> <laughs> let's see. Are there, are there any authors that you didn't like the first time that you did eventually like? Well, actually, you know, Virginia Woolf is someone who took me quite a while to get into. I read her first of all because I felt that I ought to. Mm. Um, but, I, you know, I was a teenager at the time, so um, it was sort of my first exposure to writing that was perhaps more experimental and different, difficult to, to break into. And I think I probably, knowing me, I probably would have started with like the waves or something. So, <laughs> um, which is for people who don't know, like her most completely abstract novel. So uh, I remember finding that very difficult and I didn't quite understand the concept of what she was trying to do, I think. Um, but I knew that people considered her to be really, really good. So I wanted to keep persevering and seeing whether I could unlock it. And I remember reading to the lighthouse and finding that really magical and that kind of got me into her. But then over the years, you know, I've, I've gone back to novels that I've tried of hers and that haven't spoken to me. And I think as I become more of a, not necessarily intelligent reader, but a more experienced reader, mm. um, I see more and I appreciate more in her every time. So I think, I think for me, authors that people say you should read or classic authors, you kind of feel that pressure to, to try them and to see something special in them. And if you don't see something special in them the first time, there's a kind of sense that you've got to keep trying until until you discover it. I don't know whether you feel the same way. Yeah, definitely. I think, um, I mean, some of the authors that I wrote down that this, it did take me a few times. Um, well, Muriel Spark, whom I love now, and I've read 19 of her books or something. Um, I didn't hate the first books I read by her, which were uh, The Girls of Slender Means and The Prime Miss Jean Brodie, both of which I actually really like upon rereading them. But I didn't really get them at first. And then I read The Driver's Seat, and I really liked that, and sort of it was away from there. But um, yeah, she's one. Evelyn War, I didn't like, um, put out more flags particularly, but um, I can't remember what the second one I read was, but the third was The Loved One, which I loved. A very funny look at the funeral industry in America. Um, and then Ian Forster, I didn't care for Room of the View or Passage to India, uh, but really loved Howard's End. Um, although in that case, it's almost certainly my distaste for books about the Brits abroad. But um, with all of those, as you say, it's because they are such names that I didn't feel like I could... Well, I probably could have given them up, but I didn't feel like I wanted to give them up after one try because I thought there must be a reason they're so renowned. And, and we're looking, you know, 10 plus years ago with all of them. So um, maybe I felt slightly less set in my ways with reading. I don't know. But um, 
Yeah, if they were authors that I had never heard of before, I would read one book probably and think, um, not not for me, not really bother going back, particularly um, if nobody else I knew had read them. Because I think it's not just classic authors, it's authors who are well regarded by people whose opinions I respect, and that might be a middle-brow novelist that most people don't read, um, I guess. <laughs> if, it's, if lots of bloggers are saying they like them, then I'm much more likely to go back than somebody that I've just sort of stumbled across. Yeah, no, I'm the same. I, I'm the same with you and Ian Forster. I, I love Howard's End, um, and I tried his other books and, and really don't like them, um, which I think I feel like a lot of people feel this way about Ian Forster, but it's kind of not really spoken about. Um, <laughs> yeah, because you feel like yeah. You, yeah, everyone feels like they should like. I mean, Howard's End is such a great book. It's like, what happened to the other ones? A Room with a View. I've never been so bored in my life. I know that's what a book I really thought I should love. Uh, yeah, it had that sort of elegance to the writing, and Judy Dench and Maggie Smith have been in the film adaptation. So, <laughs> I mean, what's not to like? Exactly. But yeah, I just want yeah, to get turgid. Think, yeah, it's, and it's strange, isn't it? Because like, I'm just sort of the same with. Um, kind of Charles Dickens as well you know I know I should read him um but every time I read one of his books I was like mm, it was all right but you know I've just spent six weeks of my life <laughs> this doorstopper of a novel and you know is it really that great I'm not sure it is um <laughs> no, I do love Dickens. and I mean I don't it's, I like some of his books more than others but I wouldn't say he's a favorite author I'm not gonna you know curl up <laughs> for the Charles Dickens book and get lost in it ever. It just doesn't, it's too wordy for me. But, um, and, you know, melodramatic. But I think, um, I think there are definitely authors that are worth persevering with. And I think if lots of people enjoy an author and wax lyrical about them, and I've read a book of theirs and I haven't got on with it for whatever reason, I do normally just think, oh, well, perhaps it's just I wasn't in the right mood or, um, I'm not in the right place for it at the moment and I'll come back to it later. So I don't tend to write off classic authors, but yeah, if I try something by, you know, the latest prize winner or something and I really don't like it, then I'm probably not going to try again. Like say for example, um, the Essex serpent that everybody was Mm -hmm. talking about a couple of years ago by Sarah Perry. I, I really wasn't that fussed by it and her new book came out this year and or last year, I don't remember, um, Melmoth and, I just thought, do you know what? I'm not going to bother because I know it's going to be the same um, as the other one. And um, as much as I liked the writing style of her other one, I just thought, do you know what? I'm I'm not willing to spend twelve or thirteen pounds on a on well, a new book enough, yeah. and and not enjoy it. You know, if if I came across a copy for free or something, I might give it a try. But you know, like life's short, and I think especially with modern untried novelists who you know are all just writing pretty much the same thing these days. Um, there's a blanket statement lovely well you know there's of of a certain genre they all seem to you know to me their the writing style is very similar even the stories are very similar i mean going into the bookshops these days i mean even some of the covers are barely indistinguishable from the other barely distinguishable from the other sorry um and yeah so that kind of more, more modern author he's writing something that i think well you know if it's a kind of historical novel or something like that uh, and it hasn't worked for me or I don't like the writing style, um, I just think, oh, well, there's plenty of novels written during the period that I can read and I'm Mm, not going to worry about trying this person again. Um, Only if a friend or someone I trust will say that actually 
their other books are really good or that's not the best of their books and you should try this, then I would maybe consider branching out. But if I haven't liked someone at first try, then I don't know. It would have to be, it would have to be something like I didn't like the story, but I love the writing. That yeah, yeah. If I like the, if I like the writing, then I'm willing to give it another try. But if the writing doesn't appeal to me, then no, that's the thing with the, Forster, he does write very well, but his stories are just so boring. <laughs> um, I do find there are certain types of authors, and I think Sparks in that category, where they they write so differently from other um, writers of their period. Often, sort of the, the authors I put in this category, and I've had this experience with uh, Barbara Cummins and Penelope Fitzgerald as well, that they have this sort of I guess sort of arch irony or just a, a slightly strange quirkiness to their prose style that in each of those cases, the first book I read by them, which was Human Voices for Penelope Fitzgerald and Our Spoons Came From Woolworths for Barbara Cummins, I just didn't get it um, and I didn't really connect with it. And then thankfully, uh, in their cases, recommendations from friends and in fact gifts from friends um, made me go back and try them again and they're, they're amongst the authors I rate the most now. Uh, which does make me think, well, I suppose it's, as you say with writing, even if I don't like the writing, if I think it's really interesting writing or unusual writing, then I'm more likely to think maybe that's worth another try. If if I've if I finished and thought that writing was just bad, not not unusual, just trying to do the standard thing and not doing it very well, like Lionel Schreiber, my, are you familiar punching back? I thought her writing was terrible. I'm. I'm not going to go back and read another of her books because I don't think she can write very well. Um, yeah, I mean, I remember reading, um, what's it called, the Kevin book? We need to talk about Kevin or we have yes. to talk about Kevin or, yeah. Something. something like that. Yeah, and I just found it, um, I found it really disturbing and it's kind of a little bit like Ian McEwan. I remember finding um, the cement garden of his really disturbing and I just thought, oh, I don't like, I don't like the way you think. And I don't want to read anything else by you because I don't like the way your mind works. See what I mean? Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Because Ian McEwan is one of those authors that I have gone back and forth a lot of on. A lot. So, yeah, I love some of his books and I really don't like others. And I don't even know what the difference really is because it's not like some of them are wildly better written than others. It's At least I don't think that's why I dislike them. I don't know. Maybe it's just because obviously for any of these authors, sometimes it is just our own mood that makes us dislike a book, or yeah. not, not be the right time or whatever. Yeah. Um, one author I did try for a second time because of you and because of Darlene was Elizabeth Bowen, um, because I first read the last September and I did not like it. And I didn't think it was very well written, but I may have may change my mind if I reread it. Um, and then I read. Uh, the House in Paris, possibly the podcast. I can't remember. No, we did. Um, was it to the north for the podcast? Would, but yes, both House Paris and to the north. I really liked those short stories we did recently. Not so much. That's a shame. Yeah, I think you should keep going. Yeah, I think I will. I'll, um, and I think that's because yes, because I was encouraged to try her again by people whose opinion I trusted, uh, and it and it worked. Yeah, I, I mean, if someone said to me, I'm trying to think, is it, I mean, if it's just a friend who I have, who, you know, I trust as a friend, but not as a reader necessarily said, oh, actually, I really love this other Lionel Shriver book, I probably wouldn't pay any attention. Or even if they'd said, I love this other Elizabeth Bowen, I think I'd, I don't know what sort of reading you like normally. I, I like you, but I don't trust you. 
as a reader, <laughs> <laughs> which is a very different thing from trusting them as a person. Yes, that is true. Yeah, and then there are some authors who, if I had read, so I've read several of their books, and if I'd started in one place, I probably wouldn't have read any more. Uh, although the only one I can think of immediately is Audrey Niffenegger. Uh, if you want to go back and listen to the episode we did on Her Fearful Symmetry versus The Time Traveler's <laughs> Wife. But if I'd read the Fearful, Her Fearful Symmetry first, I certainly would not have read The Time Traveler's Wife, and I'd have missed out on a wonderful book. So, Well, yes, no, likewise. I mean, that's an example of a terrible second novel, and she's yeah. not written anything since, actually, has she? Well, that's true. Mm, strange. Well, she wasn't very nice to me at that book signing, so, you know. And we will not forgive or forget it. Absolutely not. Goes around, comes around, Audrey Nifnega, so there we are. A great Christian moral. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Um, yes, I was just thinking, I was going back over those books that I picked for the episode where we talked about books we hated and yes. how many of them I would try again. I was thinking, yes, Jose Saramago, maybe a stretch I'd try again because I thought he was an interesting writer or at least, yes, he was doing something different. I just hated that book. But um, Dan Brown, no, not going back. No, I mean, you know, life's too short to read books that, you know, if, if you don't get along with an author's style or whatever, then unless, as we say, they're a classic author or someone who you just think you've come to at the wrong time in your life or, you know, you've you've not quite connected with it because of your state of mind or something then i think perhaps you know you probably aren't going to get along with the person i mean and i've got to the point now as well where if i don't like a book and i'm not enjoying it then i just won't read the rest of it and if that's happened then I'll, i probably wouldn't touch that author again yeah so is there anybody on your list of classic authors who you've tried and don't like but will try again um i can't think of anyone actually oh Mm, no, I don't think so. I can always see why they're classic. I just don't necessarily love reading them, but I read them out of a sense of duty, you know, because I like to also, obviously, being an English teacher, I do have to know, like, the basics of all the classic novels. So I have to kind of force myself. So I yeah. can't really avoid it. That's the unfortunate thing. That's fair. Has that ever worked? In, has it ever made you like an author you thought you didn't? That sort of sense of obligation. Well, I have to say that I've I've become a huge fan of Shakespeare since becoming a teacher, and I've read a lot more of his stuff and a lot more about him. And the more I learn about the time Shakespeare's time and like the history of theatre and things like that, the more I appreciate how amazing he is. And certainly, when I was younger, I would never have like read a Shakespeare play for pleasure. Whereas now, I would happily sit down and read one. But that's because I understand it more. And the more I and I don't have to like you know look up all the notes or things like that. Yeah, and definitely. I do think there's an element to that as well with with some authors, particularly you know canonical authors, or you know if you're looking at something that's written in the past, if you don't have an understanding of the period or you find the language quite dense and difficult to get through, then that can be a real barrier to your enjoyment. And actually, once you know more about it, you can find it opening up to you in ways that you never imagined. Yeah, definitely. Um, and there is that stereotype of you know, doing books at school that put people off that author for life, which I'm sure would never happen in your classroom, but in some it might. Absolutely not. Yeah. No. Um, and yes, I certainly didn't get anything at all out of Shakespeare when I was 11 and doing it, but now yeah, I'm a big fan. 
Shakespeare's all right. Um, He'll go places. He will. My babies I've... will love Shakespeare. So. <laughs> Your what, sorry? My baby. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> um... <laughs> Well, I think on my list of so far don't like, but still vaguely hoping to, I do, I will put Iris Murdoch on that list because I have tried to. Have oh, I've never even like tried them. Iris Murdoch, you know. Yeah, I mean, I sorry, I talked about. I think I talked about it on the episode of Books We Hate, and I've read The Sea, of The Sea, and The Sandcastle, and I don't like them. But there's enough things in there that I did like. That I think, well, maybe, maybe there's one that will become one that I love. I just um, kind of instinctively know I won't like her, so I've never bothered. <laughs> that's based the... on no evidence whatsoever. <laughs> what an inquisitive mind you have, Rachel. It's quite humbling. But... <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, I, I mean, I can put the whole category of poetry in this as well, but that's a whole different discussion. I've never quite got to the poetry, that I love, <laughs> but I believe that I, I believe that I will one day. <laughs> you need to come and join my uh, my lessons. I'll, I'll teach you to love poetry. It might look quite strange if I just sort of sat in the back of your classroom with a bunch of French girls, but, yeah. Well, we could pretend that, you know, you're a trainee teacher. <laughs> and it's not just girls, it's boys too, and they like I always said, I do, I do apologise. I thought, I thought it was a girls' school. How very modern. I used to work in a girls' school, but not anymore. Okay. Haven't want... worked in a girls' school for four years, Simon. I love I how you I keep can't up keep with up my up life. Such a great friend. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, sorry. Um, the only, I mean, I, I don't want to go into teaching, but the only thing that would make me do it is getting called Dr. Thomas all day. I'd enjoy that. That's not really a good enough motivation to become a teacher, is it? No, and they'd just call you sir anyway. That's true. It's a waste. Okay, yeah. so it's off. I'm not going to become okay. a teacher. <laughs> <laughs> what a loss to the profession. But, um, well... How long have we been talking about this? I don't know. Have you got more to say? No, I think we've sort of, yeah, exhausted that one, haven't we? Hmm, but I still don't know quite which one to pick. One chance or many chances, because it is so different depending on what 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 sort of book it is. But I think I'm going to be optimistic and say many chances, um, which I will, maybe I'll try and be more like that in future. I'll stop, I will try not to write authors off too quickly, but aspirationally and about famous authors or authors that my friends love my literary friends love I will say many chances how about you yeah I'm I think I'm similar you know I don't I I'm quite uh quite willing to give people a try more than once if I can see some things that I like in their work and I just think oh you know maybe it's their first novel and you know they're still working things through but they've got some beautiful writing so I definitely try another one um, but if it's something that I like, for example, if I don't like the person I think they are through reading their book, then I wouldn't again, because, um, and also if I, if I, if I don't like something that they've said about in, like, especially contemporary authors, mm. I'm quite, um, I suppose I'm quite judgmental really. Um, so if I read an, an, an interview with them or something and I think, oh, they sound so annoying, like I won't read their books. <laughs> Oh dear. <laughs> People tune into this for the scholarship, I think. <laughs> yeah. They're annoying, so I don't read their books. 
We were just having a discussion about this at work the other day where I was talking very loudly about how much I hate Ian McEwan based on no personal knowledge of him whatsoever. But um, everyone at work in the English department agreed with me entirely. We were like, yeah, we all irrationally hate him. Why is this? Um, it's intriguing. And all of us had at one point thrown one of his books against a wall. So that says it all, really, doesn't it? <laughs> Which one did you throw? On Chesil Beach. Uh, okay. I came close with Saturday, I think. But Black Dog's brilliant. I recommend that. Anyway, I mean, Atonement, marvellous. Uh, the exactly. rest of it, yes. Dross. Dross. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've not read one of his books <laughs> since on Chesil Beach because the idea, the premise for them always sounds so unappealing. It's like I've rewritten mm. Hamlet from the perspective of a fetus. Like, why? And no one asked you to do that. <laughs> anyway. So you're st- so despite all yeah. of that, you just said you're still going for many chances, are you? Yeah, I still mean, I, I give people a chance. It sounds like it. Cool, great. <laughs> yeah. If they're uh, nice people, yeah. If they're nice people. If they're good people. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right. Well, let's turn to Marjorie Sharp. Hurrah. Um, yes. Do you mind if I do a quick intro to The Gypsy in the Parlour because I read it more recently? Yes, of course. I'm just going to get off on my phone for names. <laughs> uh, the review I wrote. So I read this one last year. Um, it's from 1954. And it's uh, the fourth one I'd read by her. And it's the first one I'd read that is not overtly comic in tone. And it's about a family at, hmm, when is it? Victorian, late Victorian, they start. Um, the, the Sylvester family, which is lots of brothers and their wives living together on this farm. Um, the youngest brother is unmarried, Stephen. Um, and he's the only one who hasn't sort of married at, from local stock at the sort of, the sort of wife who will help on the farm, the sort of wife who is expected to join. Um, and he is sort of rather mysteriously married Fanny, who has come from elsewhere. Uh, and she is, I guess, the gypsy in the parlour. Another way of saying it is the fly in the ointment in some ways, because she is not what they expect. She doesn't really uh, fit in, and she starts getting ill almost certainly. Sorry, almost immediately, rather. And the tensions in the house grow as a part of her being uh, different to everyone else and part of this illness. And all of this is observed by the the narrator, who is a young relative whose name I can't remember. Do you, can you remember her name? No, how terrible is that? I literally just finished it two days ago. <laughs> oh, well. We'll call her the narrator. Maybe she's unnamed. Let's say she's unnamed. <laughs> um, so she's this young relative who lives most of the time in London with her family, but um, comes to this, this household as well. So we see it through her sort of youthful eyes as this halcyon world, but we can also see that all is not quite what it seems. Yes. Well, Clooney Brown is... Um... Uh, a very comic novel, uh, very light-hearted in tone, and it's um, it's set in the sort of early 20th century, and Cleanie Brown is this hapless working-class girl. He's an orphan. She lives with her uncle. He's a plumber um, in, you know, in London, and she's always getting herself into trouble because she doesn't know her place. This is like the, the mm. running thing. She thinks she's better than, than she is. And she's always getting herself into tricky situations. So her um, her uncle's sister decides that enough is enough and um, she needs to be found a place um, to teach her a few lessons. So she's packed off to 
to Devonshire to a, a nice uh, old manor house to be uh, a maid. And very soon, Cleany Brown is, is causing all sorts of trouble down in Devon. Um, and there are some wonderful characters there. So the, there's the Lord and Lady of the house who are very sweet and mild people. Um, and there's another servant who lives with them. And then they've got their son who decides to bring, um, who he thinks is, uh, it's set during the war, um, a Polish man who he thinks, a Polish professor, who everyone calls the professor, even though he's not, um, <laughs> who he thinks is, is at risk of being, um, murdered for his political views when he's actually not. And he comes and sort of keeps him hidden down at the house. And he's also got, uh, totally in love with a, a girl who, doesn't want to get married to him and she also comes down for the weekend and it's all just um very light-hearted and funny and um yes lots of chaos and um upset before you get to your inevitably happy ending yes. yeah <laughs> not really not really a spoiler it's sort of obvious <laughs> yeah yeah i think it's really interesting that they both are books about a young woman entering a household and changing mm. it but so different in tone um yeah why don't you kick us off with thought your thoughts <laughs> yeah so i mean i obviously i have um her, i'd heard you talking about both of these before and i bought the gypsy in the parlor after you'd recommended it but obviously not actually got around to reading it <laughs> um and then i was in winchester a few weeks couple of few weeks ago and i was in a second-hand bookshop and i saw a copy of cleanie brown and it's signed by the author and what? I thought, oh, nice. do you know what Simon says? Yeah. And it's a beautiful dust jacket and everything, uh, first edition and stuff. And I thought, oh, do you know what? Simon really, really enjoyed this. And I read the first few pages and I thought, oh, this seems really fun. I'll, I'll buy it. And then I started reading it on, on the train home and I just thought, this is so funny. Like, it's just the most charming, lovely yeah. book. Yeah. Um, um, and I hadn't read a book like that in a really long time where I literally didn't want to put it down. I was just absolutely loving it. Love, chuckling away to myself <laughs> um, and just really, really enjoying it. And um, I also loved how it didn't take me where I expected it to. Yeah, yeah. Which I really enjoyed. Um, so you start off thinking it's going to be... Like it's going. Sorry. Sorry, you keep going. No, carry on. No, you see, you go. Okay, as I was gonna say, it starts off if feeling like it might just be like a sort of knockabout comedy sort of thing, which I mean, it's very funny, but it is not the sort of oh look at this mage doesn't know what she's doing, yeah, style book that it seems it might be at one point. Yeah, I love the fact that that Cleany, there's no sort of patronisation of her. You know, she is there is something special about her. There is something different about her. You know, she does have um, a sense of a world that's bigger than the world she was born into and she wants the best for herself and she's willing to do take risks and and break out of the comfortable and quite boring life that her family members have and, and that they want for her and I love that part of her personality I think um I think the way that she treats some people in the novel could be could be better but then she's very young you know she's basically a teenager and um, and I, I also love the fact that the novel wasn't just about her. I mean, she's a wonderful character, but I also really enjoyed um, the other characters who live in the house in Devon. And, and I loved the son of the house, Michael, and his attempts to get, um, I think it's Elizabeth, isn't it, Lizzie? Oh, who knows? 
don't know, but the girl he he really loves to get her to marry him, and there's just so many um, just funny characters. She's so Marjorie Sharp is so funny at kind of capturing a character and giving them just the right things to say and. There's also some lovely moments of pathos in the book. You know, it's set during the war, uh, or just the war's about to start, sorry. I think it's 1938 it's set. And, um, you know, they're starting to think about going to war. And you've got that sense running underneath the surface that life is about to change for them quite dramatically. You're in this very traditional um, kind of aristocratic household where nothing has changed for generations. And the whole reason why this house holds so much charm for so many of the characters is because it represents the ideal of England, the fact that it never changes, the fact that traditions are valued and all that kind of thing. And so there is that sense of sadness rippling underneath the surface. I mean, it reminded me very much of E.M. Delafield in a way. Mm, I can see that. Yeah, definitely. Um, one of the characters I really loved was Lady Carmel, who yes. um, is basically managing the whole household. She and she's everyone sort of think, sort of thinks of her as being the sweet, ineffectual person, but actually she's very effectual, but also quite um, I don't know, absent-minded in in a way. And there's one quote I wanted to to read that uh, chimes with what you were saying about the the setting and the period, but also dealt with in a funny way. So. Um, Quote, Lady Carmel looked troubled. It was the thing to do just then at any mention of Europe, and indeed the happy moment with Andrew still abroad when she felt very troubled indeed. But now the expression was purely automatic, like looking reverent in church, which I thought was great. Mm. Sort of, and that does get you sort of, I know, gives you a sense of what it was like to be there. This sort of, um, I think she's very good in both novels at atmosphere, mm. uh, and and in. Cleaning around the atmosphere is not particularly haunting the reader or anything. It's more just giving you a sense of place. But whereas in uh, The Gypsy in the Parlour, the main thing I came away from and the thing I liked most about is it is how she meant to make you feel like you're in the 1870s farm with all these people. Um, and I don't know, it just felt very vivid to me. Uh, it's slightly claustrophobic, I guess, because that... Uh, but, not that negative because the narrator loves being there so much. So you you feel restricted, but in a or maybe protected. I don't know. It just if I felt very much like I was there in a way that I don't often read you know, when I'm reading novels. I don't know if you felt the same. Yeah, I felt a real sense of praise. I think the house is very well described, and the um, the atmosphere of of love and affection, and the description of all the aunts and their size and their larger than life quality and I could just imagine that that house was full of noise and laughter and bustle mm. all the time um, and yeah I, I when when you get to the part where she comes back for the first time and she walks into that sick room and the sense of the change that's come over the mm. house I think mm. that's really expertly drawn as well and it was really interesting for me reading these books pretty much back to back because you know these are the only two books I've read by her and the contrast was really quite surprising to me because I, I'd assumed that she was a comic novelist um, and this really isn't a comic novel and actually it's quite dark in many ways. Yeah and it's it's um, I think it's really clever how she brings that darkness and that somberness through through mostly through atmosphere and tone because you sense what her presence has done and what her 
the differences in her character from the character of the other people in the house, how that's changed the household. But really subtly, I think. Yeah. Really, yeah, really cleverly. And yeah, I was surprised because I read, I, the first one I read was The Foolish Gentlewoman a long time ago, which I actually read because I was reading some letters from, of P.G. Woodhouse and he mentioned in one of the letters how much he liked the book. So I thought, well, if P.G. Woodhouse thought it was funny, I'll give it, I'll go and buy it, see what I think. Enjoyed that. And yeah. I read The Eye of Love at one point as well. But the first three I'd read it all being funny. And so, yeah, opening this one and discovering that it was not funny, nor not trying to be funny. Um, and then, in fact, the one I've, only other one I've read after that, Britannia Muse. And I read Lisa Lillywhite as well. Uh, Britannia Muse, also not funny. Lisa Lillywhite, somewhere in between, I guess. But, yeah, really versatile author, really impressive. Yeah, she's, um, I think, what's interesting as well is, you know, she writes, like, Cleany Brown, for example, is very funny, very lighthearted, but it's still really beautifully written. Mm-hmm. And so she's a very good writer, I think, and I'm really excited to to read some more of hers and and see different sides of her but i think what i really liked about both of these books is her depiction of characters and people and the inner life of people but mm, i thought what's mm. what's quite interesting about um the gypsy in the parlor is that it's all told from the perspective of a child so you've got that sense of you know we can only see what she can understand from her position and i think she does that very well through you can see as an adult perhaps what's really going on yeah you know, I, i'd yeah. kind of figured it out quite early on but the the leaks that that the narrator makes being you know nine or ten years old are understandable from the perspective of a child um but what i did find a bit unrealistic was that she would have been allowed to rule over that house in that way for two years yeah, I think, and to go to your first point, I think definitely it, it reminded me a lot of The Go-Between. Mm, yes, Charlie. that's exactly what I was thinking, yeah. yeah. And very similarly successful in, in doing that sort of childlike perspective whilst also you know, yeah, what what they are not understanding. But yeah, I think in terms of the two-year sort of ruling, I guess because she rules so um, passively somehow, it's not like she's trying to beat them at their own game or you know they've got is it charlotte who's the the oldest yeah. of the of wives she's she's very sort of firm and domineering in a good way she's pow- a very powerful presence and it's not like fanny's trying to beat her at that she's just this thing they don't really quite understand that she's come in and undermined what they understand as traditional ways of having power in a household i guess found it very interesting the sort of claustrophobic atmosphere and of how she's using in many ways her femininity to get what Mm. she wants but i think it's also interesting from the perspective of being a 19th century novel this idea of the nervous complaint and the fact that somebody and the the fact that the young narrator says things like oh you know i know all about nervous complaints i know about nerves and it's very much something that's accepted as a um as a female condition and she even says like oh i knew somebody who lay on a sofa for 30 years you know and yeah, that idea I, that that's the only way that women can kind of seize power in a situation. If they're powerless, then they can regain power by, by being ill, in inverted commas. Yeah, I remember, um, I think it's The Triumphant Footman by Edith Olivier, where a character just takes to her bed when she's 20 or something and is there for the rest of her life. Uh, again, in, it's a bit of manipulation going on there. 
So, yeah, I think Fanny is a really interesting character to contrast with Clooney because Fanny is this disturbing element in the house and in many ways is quite manipulative, whereas Clooney is just the exact opposite of that. She doesn't really think about the consequences of what she's doing particularly, um, and she's just herself completely, uh, very openly herself, even when that is inappropriate for whatever position she's meant to be or when she yeah when she's meant to be a servant etc um and i think it's impressive how lovable marjorie jacques makes her because she is just such a vibrant vivid and lovable character i could have read her forever just such a delight to be with and it's just it is a delightful novel but not a lot not a flimsy novel yeah no and i would have loved to i would have loved a um a sequel Yes, and she did two sequels occasionally. She wrote several with Martha in Who Was in the Eye of Love, but um, I don't think she wrote a sequel to Clooney Brown. It's a shame. She should have done. My copy of Clooney Brown has a dust jacket on which the name Marjorie is spelt wrong. Yes, no, mine's the American one, I think, and it's got a picture on the front. It's very nice. Ah, that's good. Yeah. I do wonder how many people must have looked at this dust jacket and approved it not noticing they spelt marjorie with a j-o-r-i-e rather than g-e-r-y they're bizarre yeah but unless it was just a limited print run when they did that maybe it's worth millions i suspect not you never know envious of your signed copy yeah i know i was quite pleased with it i bought it in a very old man bookshop where um the book was quite expensive but i thought oh my goodness if i don't buy this book this man is going to be bankrupt, so I <laughs> I think I've been in that bookshop. In Winchester, did you say? Yeah. Yes. He it's was... down a very narrow yeah. lane. Yes, it is like Winchester Old Books or Winchester Books or something. Yes, yeah, it is, yeah. Yes, I do like that shop. That's good. But a very grumpy proprietor when I was though. there. Yeah, yes. very grumpy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully he made his day. <laughs> I hope so. Um, amusingly, I ended my review of... The Gypsy in the Parlour, saying, if I had to pick between this and, say, Clooney Brown, I wouldn't know quite which to choose. So there you go. <laughs> I've put myself in that position. Or in fact, you put me in that position, because it's your idea, wasn't it? Um, and I certainly started the conversation not having a clue which one I pick, and I don't feel like I'm much the wiser. <laughs> Whilst I mull it over, do you, do you know which way you will f- you fall down? I mean, I really enjoy both of them for very different reasons. I think they're very different books. It's quite difficult to directly compare them. But I think if I based it on which book would I probably want to read again and again and again, I would probably have to go for Clean Brown, just because it's so funny. Yeah, fair enough. Well, I've read six of her books now, and these are definitely my top two favourites from those six. Mm. I've, I've, really, I've really liked others. But... Um, I think because oh it's so hard I love them both Um, (laughs) I think just because it stayed with me so vividly despite me not remembering the plot suddenly the atmosphere of it stayed with me really vividly I am going to go for the gypsy in the parlour I think interesting okay which is funny because I would have thought we'd go the other way around on those (laughs) oh really well it reminded me a bit of when we did Miss Mole versus Chatterton Square by E.H. Young and that was sort of a very funny one versus a more sombre one. We went the other way around on that. Hmm. Wow. I think, I mean, if I thought about, if I spoke for too many more minutes, I would change my mind. 
<laughs> they're both brilliant and i'm yeah it's it's really good to find an author who is can do both really well and it doesn't feel like when you're reading one that it's sort of a pale imitation of the other it's just two completely differently very well created different types of book yeah well done marjorie yeah and thank you to you for introducing me to oh, you're welcome. a new author i've got lots on my shelves that i've not read so hopefully we'll get some more uh, do you have any more waiting for you or do you need to go and buy some more no i don't and um I was saying to you the other day, I, I never seem to see any in second-hand bookshops, so is there any, are there any in particular that you think I should account for? Um, I think Britannia Muse is very good. It's more in the Gypsy in the Parlour sort of side of things, in that it's not funny. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I did really enjoy The Eye of Love. I have heard very good things about The Nutmeg Tree that I've not read, so that might be the next one I read, and then I'll let you know how it is. But okay. yeah, if there, uh, there are definitely some Marjorie Sharp devotees out out there, so do let us know which are, uh, which are your favourites and whether or not they're funny. Let us know that too. Yes. Great. Uh, that was fun. Hurrah for Marjorie. Um, and in the next episode, we'll be looking at two American novels of the mid-century, or approximately that. Uh, Stoner by John Williams and... The Easter Parade by Richard Yates. That's two of the most boring author names we've ever had, I think. <laughs> it's going to be hard to remember them, but I think I got them right. Yeah. <laughs> so I, Simon Thomas, can't get much more boring name. But it's a little less, little less boring than John Williams. So take that, John. <laughs> and that's, that's how I'm going to choose to end this episode. <laughs> An unnecessary affront to John Williams' dull name. <laughs> Thanks for listening, guys. <laughs> Bye. Bye. You can see all the books and authors we've mentioned at stuckinabook.com, where you can also give any comments you'd like to. You can visit Rachel's blog at booksnob.wordpress.com. Do rate and review us wherever you can do so. Uh, you can support the podcast at patreon.com forward slash tea or books. Many thanks to all who do. We've had a few more since last time. So thank you to Michelle, Jane, Heather, Liana, Gracie, and Randy. And um, yeah, until next time, have a great, let's say, fortnight. Bye. <laughs>